Good morning. Can I thank you for the opportunity to come and worship with you again? It really is a pleasure to be here. And thank you also for the welcome you've given to my wife and child, Sarah. Let's begin our worship this morning by considering the first eight verses of Psalm 118. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the Lord of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong and they walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees, then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart. As I learn your righteous law, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. I think it's a joy that in the heart of the word we have the Psalms. They are honest. For this psalmist speaks of someone who is upright in heart and never does anything wrong. I personally have never been fortunate enough to meet someone who could match that description. But I think many of us could relate to the second, the last four verses, when he says, I'm not like that. I get it wrong. I muck up. But still, I will come, and still, I will worship. And it's as a people who are not perfect, but because of the work of our Lord's Son, because of the work of Christ, we are able to come. Despite our mistakes, despite how our week's been. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, at this time of year, as many celebrate the love they have for each other, we gather here in your name and we come to you. We come to the one who loved us first. We thank you, Lord, that each one of us here can know your love for us, that no one has been missed out, and that we have all been included. We thank you, Lord, for your Son, through whom you made us, made your love for us known. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells within each one of us, sealing us into your family and binding us together as brother and sister. As we gather today in your name, may you make your love known for us, and may our love for each other increase. May we be aware of your presence. And may you bless those who are alone this morning and were unable to be here. We ask, Lord, that we would see your beauty, not only in creation, but may we see your face and your beauty and your handiwork in each other. May we learn, Lord, what it is to love as you have loved us. Amen. The first reading is from Deuteronomy Chapter 30, verses 15 to 20. Today I am giving you a choice between good and evil, between life and death. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I give you today, if you love him, obey him, and keep all his laws, then you will prosper and become a nation of many people. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are about to occupy. But if you disobey and refuse to listen 
and are led away to worship other gods, you will be destroyed. I warn you here and now, you will not live in that land across the Jordan that you are about to occupy. I am now giving you the choice between life and death, between God's blessing and God's curse. And I call heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Choose life. Love the Lord your God, obey him and be faithful to him. And then you and your descendants will live long in the land that he promised to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The second reading is Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 37. You have heard that people were told in the past, do not commit murder. Anyone who does will be brought to trial. But now I tell you, if you are angry and your brother will be brought to trial, if you call your brother, you good for nothing, you will be brought before the council. And if you call your brother a worthless fool, you will be in danger of going to the fire of hell. So if you are about to offer your gift to God at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go at once and make peace with your brother, and then come back and offer your gift to God. If someone brings a lawsuit against you and takes you to court, settle the dispute while there is time before you get to court. Once you are there, you will be turned over to the judge, who will hand you over to the police, and you will be put in jail. There you will stay, I tell you, until you pay the last penny of your fine. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But now I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman and wants to possess her is guilty of committing adultery with her in his heart. So if your right eye causes you to sin, take it out and throw it away. It is much better for you to lose a part of your body than to have your body, your whole body, thrown into hell. If your hand, right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is much better for you to lose one of your limbs than to have your whole body go off to hell. It was also said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But now I tell you, if a man divorces his wife for any cause other than her unfaithfulness, then he is guilty of making her commit adultery if she marries again. And the man who marries her commits adultery also. You have also heard that people were told in the past, do not break your promise, but do what you have vowed to the Lord to do. But now I tell you, do not use any vow when you make a promise. Do not swear by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is the resting place for his feet, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not even swear by your head, 
because you cannot make a single hair white or black. Just say yes or no. Anything else you say comes from the evil one. Amen. Both the passages that were read this morning are quite hard. And they could be understood to be quite harsh as well. After all, life and death is at stake. Even in the New Testament, when Jesus is speaking, he tells people they're in danger of going to hell. And it's actually better that they mutilate themselves rather than go into heaven whole. I think maybe he was overemphasizing, he was using extreme language to emphasize how important these points were. What was read from Matthew was the first three of what's known as the antitheses. They're where Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say, and then he goes on to reinterpret what was already said. These three deal with our attitude towards other people. The next three, which we'll look at next week, deal with how we respond to how people treat us. But before we consider these texts much further, I don't want to offer an apology but I do want to offer some concern. Whenever someone stands up and talks about personal relationships, we're talking about something that's intimate, something that matters, something that's heartfelt. And when we try to talk about so much in such a short period of time, it's not possible to cover everything. And the last thing I would want to do is hurt someone. But particularly because in this passage it covers adultery, divorce and remarriage. These are situations that many people have been through that are difficult enough without me in my 20 minutes adding confusion to the situation. So I would ask, if I say anything this morning that for some reason leaves you feeling uncomfortable or maybe stirs up some things that you're not sure about, please ask. I would like to think that that was a given every week and I'm sure it is. But when such personal situations are spoken about, I just want to make sure that that's known. I will make time for anyone that wants to speak to me afterwards about anything that I've said. With that in mind, let us pray. Lord, as we hear your word, we pray for clarity. We pray for guidance and we pray for understanding. Help us to hear your voice and know for ourselves what that means for our lives. May we grow in confidence in our relationships, our relationship with you and our relationships with other, each other, our brothers and sisters, with your sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Both these passages this morning deal very much with family. In the passage in Deuteronomy, Jesus is speaking to the country as a whole. It's how the nation Israel will behave. In this passage, he uses the language of brothers and sisters. Now, I don't want to say that that limits that our attitude of generosity should only be amongst each other. I'd like to think if we're generous, we're generous to everyone, irrespective of their beliefs and their behaviors. But we are left wondering sometimes how to read these passages. Are these harsh, stark warnings from a God who is demanding to be seriously obeyed? Are these things that we should live in fear of? Or is there another way that we should read these? 
With that question in mind, I want to tell you two stories. Both true. Both involved military action. In 2007, Switzerland invaded Liechtenstein. You might be surprised to hear it. I mean, Switzerland have got a reputation for keeping out of trouble. But during a night exercise, a commander of a large group of men held his map the wrong way round and marched promptly into Liechtenstein without knowing it. Thankfully, it didn't cause any major uproar, but this wasn't the first time Switzerland have had to apologise to Liechtenstein. In 1985, they fired their rockets in the wrong direction and caused a forest fire in Liechtenstein. Yet these aren't big newsworthy items because the relationship between Switzerland and Liechtenstein is quite a good one. It doesn't matter that Switzerland have caused grief to Liechtenstein. Their desire to be in a good relationship means that there was no fallout war, there was no battle. An apology was enough. In 2010, when everyone was getting excited about Google Maps and Google Street View, Google Maps printed one of its maps wrong and drew the border from Nicaragua and Costa Rica in the wrong direction. Nicaragua promptly invaded Costa Rica. Sadly, that wasn't quite so peaceful, and it was over a very small area of land. As we look into the situation, it had nothing to do with Google Maps at all. Google Maps apologized very quickly and corrected their map. But Nicaragua had an election coming up, and the president wanted to show off how powerful he was and how strong he was, and he couldn't care less about Costa Rica, and saw his opportunity, and promptly sent 50 men into the new border between the two countries. As far as he was concerned, it should be their land anyway. So he wasn't doing anything wrong. Sometimes when we read our Bibles, we do the same thing. Sometimes we just read the Bible incorrectly and go marching off in the wrong direction. Other times we read the Bible. But to show how good and powerful and strong we are, we then use it to beat others around the head with. And say, you're not living up to these standards. You're not keeping up to these rights. Therefore, I have no reason to have anything to do with you. It's almost of an attitude of disowning one another, of saying you are not part of who I am. But is that what Jesus really meant? That he was setting standards by which we could judge one another, setting standards and writing a law by which we could come round and see you're one of us, you're not one of us, you're one of us, you're not one of us. That we could divorce whoever didn't match our standards. That we could cut out from our families those people that didn't meet our expectations. After all, life and death was an issue. Last week, Katrina said that there are many laws in this country, and she was right to point out that very few of us are aware of half the laws that are passed at the Scottish Government. We wouldn't need to be. But there are two groups of people that are. One are the lawyers, because they need to enforce the law, and the others are the criminals who are trying to get away with breaking the law. Almost like the small child that's sitting in the back of the car going, me, ma, me, ma, and you say, can you stop making that noise? And so they do. And so I go, pop, 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 pop. Now these might seem disconnected stories, but it's actually about our heart attitude. It's not really about what the Bible says half the time. When somebody hurts us, our ability to see past it often depends on our relationship with that person. When we promise to do something for someone, Our desire to fulfill that promise often reflects how much we care about our relationship with that person. 
But our attitude and our relationship with the Lord often reflects how we read his word. Is the passage in Deuteronomy the passage of a dictatorial God who's telling his people, you will obey and do exactly what I tell you, or I will destroy you? Or, is it a loving father who's saying, I've told you to do these things because if you don't do them, you're going to come into harm. You're going to end up killing yourselves. You're going to end up hurting yourselves and you're going to end up hurting one another. When a parent turns to a child and says, if you spend too long on that computer, you're going to end up ruining your day. Is that because the parent has told the child, if you spend more an hour on the computer, I'm going to come and ruin your day? Or is it because the parent knows that if the child spends too long on the computer, they're going to get agitated and frustrated and angry and aggressive? Are we reading the words of someone who is expecting perfection? Or are these the words of someone who is desiring the best for us? And warning us that if we don't look out for one another, we will destroy one another. And if we're in the habit of destroying one another, we too will end up being destroyed. What is our attitude? If we look at the beginning of Matthew, the passage in Matthew, Jesus says quite clearly, you don't call your brother a fool. You don't call him an Egypt. I often think and wonder if one of Jesus' brothers was sat there listening to it and thinking you're being a bit harsh. But what we maybe lose in translation is we're not just telling someone that they're worthless as if that wasn't bad enough. We're telling them they don't belong. The word that's translated for fool is what was the word that used to be the insult moron. Empty-headed, good for nothing. A reject. But worse than that, it's telling them that they're in rebellion of God. That they have been rejected, not only by us, but by God too. When we insult people, we're telling them they're not good enough for us. We're telling them that they're not good enough to be in our family. They're not good enough to care about. They're not good enough to be able to rely upon us. It may not be our intention, but Jesus is making it clear that if we insult one another, we may not have murdered them physically, but we are killing them spiritually. Sadly, there are too many cases that we've seen recently where teenagers have taken their own lives because their reputations have been ruined. But as we gather, we come here and we declare the love of the Lord. We thank the Lord for loving us. And the Lord has brought us into one body to love one another. But when we run each other down, and when we use scripture to do it, we're telling them they don't belong. And this is the same message that the Lord brings through when he talks about the adultery and he talks about the divorce. You know that when a couple are courting, it doesn't matter what the husband or the wife-to-be are thinking. They will see past everything their future husband or wife will say. They may even start to like forms of music that they've never considered before. They may even start taking activities they've never done before because as far as they're concerned, their their girlfriend, their boyfriend can do nothing wrong. And then they get married and a few years down the line they realize, well, actually they can do some things wrong. And they're not the perfect being that I made them out to be. In fact, they never were. And they have a little look around and suddenly realize that 
But there are all these other people I don't really know that well, but maybe they're the perfect being. Maybe they're the ones I should have married. Our actions don't start from nowhere. They start from the way we think, and they start from our heart. And sometimes um, we let our minds wander. Sometimes we see that scene in a film that gives us goosebumps, but we don't stop to ask ourselves why. Sometimes we develop a friendship with someone that we can't wait to speak to. And before we know it, we're spending more time with them than we are with our husbands and wives. In fact, when we want someone to talk to, we're rushing off to see them. Is that adultery? Am I being unfair? What Jesus is saying here is it isn't the actions that are wrong. It's what's in our heart. Now, I can't judge what's in your heart and you don't know what's in mine. But we know, and this is why the Lord is speaking to our hearts, we know ourselves what's behind our actions. If we allow ourselves to listen. For some reason, setting the standards for other people is very easy. Setting the standards for ourselves is often something we fail to do. It was the case when Jesus was saying that this, that if you divorce someone, and more often than not it was the man divorcing his wife, it wasn't just the case that they no longer had someone to go home to. They no longer had anyone to provide for them. They no longer had anyone to take care of them. They no longer had anyone to protect them. The person had been abandoned. The reason why it says you end up making them commit adultery is because for them remarriage wasn't an option. It was a necessity. This was at a time when women living on their own particularly was not heard of. They needed someone to live with. Someone who would help with bringing the money into the house. Someone who would protect them. Those days may have passed. And thankfully so to an extent. But the sad thing is, when somebody leaves someone for someone else, that feeling of rejection is a hard one to deal with. Because even though it was the other person's heart and mind that led them astray, even though it was their own eyes that looked at someone else and thought, maybe they're better than what I've got, it's that phrase, maybe they're better than what I had, that leaves people feeling rejected. I wasn't good enough. It's when we consider these situations you can understand why Jesus uses such strong language. For Jesus came so that all of us could be received into the kingdom of God. Jesus came so that we could be made whole. Jesus came to make us feel included and welcome. Yet sometimes by our speech, by our actions, by our thoughts, we're working against that by making other people feel unwanted, unwelcome. It's very easy when we consider these to feel condemned. In fact, it was very difficult for me to write this sermon without it feeling like all I was doing was writing down a list of do's and don'ts and being quite harsh and setting standards that I know I myself cannot meet. 
But there is something positive in all that Jesus is saying. See, the title for today was How to Be Church. How to Control Your Temper. Because our emotions do get the better of us. We do say things we shouldn't say. We do have thoughts that we shouldn't think. And sometimes, maybe when we're stressed, maybe when we're worn down, sometimes when the other person has acted like a complete Egypt, they've used up all of our patience and we almost find ourselves unable to stop ourselves from telling them so. We just let rip, we let go. See, if these two passages were from a God that was demanding stern obedience or else destruction, then every single one of us would have been destroyed. But his concern is actually for reconciliation. And in the heart of this passage, there are two parts that talk about that very thing. There should be no situation where we ever say, because you've said that, because you've thought that, we can never have anything to do with each other. We have the case of someone being taken to court. The Lord's saying, if they've actually got a case against you, go and apologize. Go and say sorry. Go and make amends. Go and do that, which will put the situation right. But maybe the verses that should get the most attention are the ones that, where the Lord says, if when you come to me, I bring to mind those things that your brother or sister has against you, go and sort them out first. The Lord desires reconciliation. He doesn't desire us to live in a litigious atmosphere where, well, if you say that, I'm going to say this. If you act like that, I'm going to act like this. He wants us to have a heart where our greatest overriding passion and desire is to see unity amongst each other. Not to hold our wrongs against each other. Not to even allow our own feelings to come between us. When I use the two examples of the maps... I very much doubt anyone here would have been surprised if Costa Rica and Nicaragua had gone to an all-out war. But we would have been shocked if Liechtenstein and Switzerland have. Because we know that their desire as two neighbouring countries is to get on. So they can make mistakes with one another, they can make, get things wrong, and then they can go to each other and say, we're sorry. And it doesn't carry an eternal weight. Yet sometimes when we do talk to each other, when we judge one another, that we don't have that same compassion. And we want to draw a line under the situation. But let's consider that a little bit further. When we sin, when we get it wrong, we've often heard it said that we are sinning against the Lord. And we feel we should get on our knees and apologize to God. Because that's who our sin was against. But the Lord's instruction here is different. The Lord's instruction here is if you have sinned against your brother or sister, if you've caused them hurt or pain, go and sort it out first. Go and see them. Now he's not asking us to drag up all the pain and difficulty of what's happened in years gone by. It does say if you come to me and I bring something to mind. There is a danger of going back through your old diaries and your mind, oh, I maybe shouldn't have said that back in 2000 and whatever. No. But if the Lord convicts you of something, He wants you to go back to your brother and sister in Christ and make peace. And that's what's behind the whole passage is the Lord desiring to see unity amongst his people. 
even if we do read this as a king laying out the rules for his kingdom, then there is still hope. Because a king who sets the rules for his kingdom sets the rules as he thinks things should be done. This is the Lord telling us how he relates to us. This is a Lord, our king, who will never tell us that we're not wanted, who will never tell us we're too foolish or not good enough to be part of his family. This is a God that isn't going to turn around and say, well, I was quite happy to welcome you at your baptism, but now that I've got to know you better, I think I've changed my mind. This isn't a God who, when you say, will you forgive me, says, yes, if, but, maybe. He says, yes. Will you abandon me? No. Maybe the phrase we're looking for when we consider the Lord's commitment to us is stubborn loyalty. That commitment to us, that irrespective of how we behave, irrespective of how we think, irrespective of how we act, his commitment to us is such that he desires to see us reconciled to him more than he desires to see us suffer for our actions. And in this message of the kingdom, he's looking for us to develop that same attitude. That when someone doesn't meet our standards, that our love for that person, our care for that person, overrides any faults and feelings we think the other person might have. Our desire to see them included Our desire to welcome them in is what drives us to relate to that person. There is a security we have with the Lord. There's a security that comes from knowing our Lord. That no matter what kind of day we've had, no matter what side of the bed we've got out, we know that he's going to be there for us. We know that when we read our Bibles, that when we pray, he hears us. Is that something that we could say we can be for other people? And now let us bring our prayers to God for this world, for others, and for ourselves. First of all, we would remember all those who have suffered loss in the floods which have brought disaster to many parts of the country. We've seen and heard of the damage and destruction which has come in the wake of the heavy rainfall, the gale-force winds and the rising tides. We pray for any who have lost loved ones, and we plead for all those whose homes have been destroyed, whose livelihood has been undermined, and who face many months of slow recovery from the ruination of their homes and the farmlands and the factories. We pray also for all those who seek to help others to recover from the damage, the fire and rescue services, the armed forces, and all those agencies who will be involved in rebuilding the infrastructure. We cannot know fully what is the underlying cause of all this damage, but we pray that politicians and planners and all who set the strategy to deal with these changing climatic conditions might be given wisdom and understanding to take the necessary decisions and to apply the resources to seek a longer-term solution to these increasing problems. Indeed, these recent events in our own country remind us of the many nations in different parts of the world who frequently suffer disaster in the form of earthquake, 
bushfires, crop failure, (coughs) epidemics of disease, and all manner of challenges to their lives. Not only that, there are the lands where warfare and civil unrest still rages, and we think especially of Syria and the Sudan, where there seems little hope of relief. Lord, in some way, many parts of the globe seem to be an arena for conflict of different kinds, and we would bring before you our prayers for the nations that somehow the leaders may again catch the vision of peace and justice that will bring about a new order where the life of every citizen will be valued and the rights of each and all be defended. Lord, nearer at home, we are conscious of difficulties and challenges that face us here. We pray for many who find it increasingly difficult to make ends meet and to pay their bills and to feed their families. We pray for those who organise local food banks and distribute their donated goods to all who need them at this time. We think of graduates who cannot find satisfying employment. We remember all those of every age who face challenges to their physical or mental health. We think of those who struggle with the responsibilities of caring for the young or the elderly who are becoming increasingly frail. Help us to be more aware of the needs of others and more willing to do whatever we can to relieve their burden by our generosity and acts of kindness and service. We pray for our minister, Katrina, as she attends the conference in New Zealand. We pray that her visit to that country will be a satisfying and life-enhancing experience and that she will be blessed in her travelling. We pray for our church here at Hillhead. As the time approaches for major decisions about our future, and we ask that each and all of us might reflect on the part that we can play in the development and the ongoing service of our church in this place. And in the meantime, we would seek to be faithful to our calling as a fellowship of your people. Help us to support each other and to be agents of encouragement of one another so that we may truly be a community of faith as we continue to open doors and minds and hearts. Lord, when we reflect on your word, and particularly the message of the Gospels, we realise how often we fall short of the standard of love and conduct set forth in your word. Lord, forgive us for our failures, and by your grace, give us the strength and the resolve to live more closely to your example. And yet, O oh Lord, we are mere humans, and we so often and, and so often our deeds fall short of these lofty aspirations. Accept us as we are, and grant us forgiveness and the grace to persevere in the Christian life. And so, Lord, we ask you that you will hear all these prayers for the world and for ourselves, and also the unspoken prayers of our hearts for any known to us in great need or distress. For we come confident that you will not turn away any who ask in sincerity and faith. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord God of our hearts, our Heavenly Father, bless us with his patience and peace. May the work of his Son inspire and guide us in every situation to seek the lost, 
and show them his love. May his spirit work in us and through us, binding us together and letting us know that we belong.